Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It is another beautiful day, and I can speak a little better today. Hopefully, I've been getting no less than four of you, thank you, reminding me to um, go to the doctor, take care of myself, take more medicine. I am doing the best I can. Going to get on antibiotics today. This thing has been transformed into uh, from a cold, I think two colds, one on top of each other. One I got in the States, one I got when I got back, and then... It went into a sinus infection. Who knew? But anyway, God is good. I can still talk and uh, sing bass for sure. So we are looking in Genesis 31, 32 today and Matthew. And it's a lot in Genesis, I think. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of verses. So let's go ahead and get into it right away. Father, thank you for this morning and blessing us and bringing us together. We ask God that by your spirit, we would see the truth, see the principles, and learn the lessons, but also, God, just let your water wash over us. And just spending the time with you in and of itself, Father, is of so much value to focus our day to get us ready for the things that's going to come about for the rest of this day and the rest of the week. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 31. This is about Jacob leaving Canaan. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father he has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly towards him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that is not friendly towards me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, Then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the stripe shall be your wages. Then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and molted. Then the angel of God said to me, in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which you are mating are striped, speckled, and molted. And I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? 
for he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away his acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Padam Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. Verse 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey. And he overtook them in the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream in the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Verse 27, why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with timbrel and with lyre, and did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob replied to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. The one with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household's goods? Set it here before my kinsmen, or your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Their ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was by day, the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction 
and the toil of my hands, and so rendered judgment last night. Verse 43. Then Laban replied to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? So... Now come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. And Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called it Jagar Shahadutha, but Jacob called it Gilead. I'm thankful. That's an easier name. Verse 48. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it was named Gilead and Mizpah, for he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar, which I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap, to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Naor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal, and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. Very interesting story of the of the separation of Jacob and Laban. Obviously, Laban was not a very moral, upright guy. He had a lot of um, he had a lot of, shall we say, greed. When he was young, and Isaac's servant shows up and puts the rings and the gold, <laughs> um, on the finger of Rebecca. He was like immediately ran up there when he saw the gold and all the wealth that he, hey, we got cousins, we got relatives that are rich. He goes running over there to um, to see what he can get his hands on. And now when Jacob comes, of course, he sees the potential for gaining uh, wealth through Jacob and from Jacob. He's, he's, a, he's a taker, he's not a giver. And so he, he uses Jacob, but of course Jacob gets... Bless. Again, I mentioned this yesterday. He deceives Jacob. Jacob's called the deceiver. And his father deceived Abimelech. And his father, Abraham, deceived the Pharaoh. There's all kinds of deception going on in this. And now, to top it all off, Rebecca is going to deceive her father and, and steal the, high, the household gods. Yes, he was called to go back. This was God's plan. Just like Abraham goes down to Egypt and he comes back with wealth. <laughs> Um, and Isaac goes down to Syria, I want to say, and comes back wealthy. Um, now it's bizarre. Jacob goes down and comes back wealthy. They leave Canaan, they leave the promised land, and they go through all kinds of weird trials, and and they don't act actually act upright and according to every principle that they should be following, according to the Lord, but yet they still get blessed and they come back. And and here we have the, the stealing of the household gods. Obviously, we understand what kind of man Laban was. 
that he had. He was a typical Mesopotamian idol worshiper. He was a polytheist. Now, Jacob had, remember, we believe this is when he really met God was in Bethel. He, he worshiped more or less Yahweh through his father. And uh, he had his mother there just coddling him and, and trying to tell him that he was the son of the promise of the coming of this great nation. Like many of us are brought up in churches and we believe we believe because of our parents, but his real experience with Yahweh, personal experiences in Bethel. And it's from there that I think that he starts really calling upon the name of the Lord. And there, while he's there with his uncle, that he learns to rely on Yahweh more and more. I mean, it would in impact you, right? If you saw a portal, a, have a door, a gate, whatever, open up and you saw these angels coming and going and you're looking up and you're seeing into the heavenly realm and you're seeing one like the Son of Man. I mean, you see, he's seeing the whole, I should say, panorama of the, of the plan of God for humanity that God is sending down onto this earth his message, his angels, his servants, he's going to send the Messiah. And this is also that man could have this, this entrance and this regain this entrance back into his presence that was lost in the garden. So he's getting a lot of information, probably doesn't know how to process it. But as now he's leaving, um, he is now going to pass through essentially the um, Bethel again. And on his way there, where he's leaving for good reasons, he gets stopped by Laban. Laban catches up to him. Of course, he can travel much faster, not having the sheep and the goats to worry about. Catches up to him and wants to know why Jacob would steal his household idols. Now, that does speak a little bit to Jacob. He should have known Jacob would never do that, that Jacob did not have himself household idols, but he allowed his wife, or his wife still still worshiped them. Uh, why what did Rebecca worship household idols? Well, some people suggest... And I don't really know if I buy this, but they suggest she took them away from her father as some kind of bartering mechanism, or, um, or some something to either or take away his power. She believed that he would be less powerful uh, to do any harm to her and Jacob and her family. Uh, it's more likely she just worshipped them, and she thought it would bring them more luck, more protection on the road. So Jacob had not yet communicated to her adequately who Yahweh was, and she's going to get this when she reaches the land. One of the main reasons to get back into Canaan was so they could begin to start worshiping Yahweh themselves uh, away from Laban, away from all that, all that they were dealt with with the with there in the father with her brother Laban. Anyway, interesting. I, there's I'm I'm fascinated by this story, the the whole thing of her deceiving. Uh, her brother, and us, uh, and and using the same deception on her brother that he used on Jacob. Essentially, uh, you know, you know, just not telling the truth, telling lies, and uh, manipulating circumstances. The more I read the Bible, the more I'm just astounded that how God would work with us, being so completely corrupt and deceptive in all of our thinking. Had she not taking the household idols and said, no, I'm going to trust the Lord my God. Would this story have played out differently? Probably, but it's here for us to understand the, the, I guess the frailty of the human nature 
and how God is still going to bring these people into his presence and you work by his grace. So again, so much in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is the grace of God that so many people miss on the first pass through it when they're reading through it until they stop and think about it. Now, wow, that was just 31, and I did my whole commentary, and I'm I'm sorry, I thought I read both chapters. Well, we'll just read through this one and maybe just go right over to Matthew. Okay, <laughs> I forgot. 55 verses is a lot of verses. All right, chapter 32, we're moving on. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him, and Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have soldiered with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels and the two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company that's left will escape. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all all the loving kindness, and of all the faithfulness which you have sworn to your servants. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between droves. He commanded the one in front, saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. Then commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the droves, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob is also behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. Now he rose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them, sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go. For the dawn is breaking, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Verse 31, now the sun arose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. So real quick, I'm going to mention here is where I believe that Jacob had an encounter with God where he, God became real to him in Bethel. And then he goes and he strives with Jacob and he and God still blesses him. And he learns a lot about his, he, he's beginning his walk with God for many years. Here in Penuel is where it seems that he encounters sanctification, where I think he's set apart, set apart to do the work of God. His, In other words, this is where his walk changes. <laughs> Quite literally, from being the deceiver and being the one that is, okay, has a faith in Yahweh and is it is listening, hearing the voice of Yahweh, seeing the heavens open, I mean, must have had an amazing effect on him. But now he wrestles with him about letting him take over. In other words, knowing that he cannot fight against God himself anymore. God will always win. But I mean, Jesus, we think this is a Christophany. We, we believe that Jesus allows you know him to believe he's winning. He, he wrestles with him, and we get the illustration. This is what we have to do. We wrestle with Jesus all the time, mostly, I mean, before we're saved, but we wrestle with issues after. But we have to get to the point of yieldedness of, over to his lordship. And often the way that, that God we get there, unfortunately, is a Jacob experience. He has to break us of something. He has got to touch us. It's often in our weakness that he's made strong. We yield and say, I can't do this. I, I, don't, have the, I don't have the physical strength. I don't have the ability. And then he touches us or some way, and, and he can use physical infirmity like Jacob received so that he's glorified and his purposes are accomplished. Interesting. Matthew 20 now, laborers in the vineyard, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. Then those hired about the eleventh hour came, and each one received a denarius. And those hired the first, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. 13. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to these last men the same as you. It is not unlawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own. Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. 
so amazing. You know, the, the, the one thing you kind of immediately recognize from all this is that grace is not fair. <laughs> you never stop and think about it. Grace is not fair. I mean, if grace was fair, you and I, who got saved young-ish, you know, I would say 20, serving the Lord our whole lives and, and bearing the heat of all of the persecution and everything else and, and the ridicule or whatever it is, and we are at the end of the age, Jesus is getting ready to come back, and, and we see our partying friend, brother, sister, whoever, who, who did drugs, slept with everybody, did everything wrong, and five minutes before they die, they lift up their arms and say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Please come and give me your grace. Forgive me my sin. And they mean it with all their heart. And guess what? We get the same reward as they do. They get the same reward as us. Now, I won't get into all of the, the stuff in heaven about our, I, I mean rewards. We get the, shall I say, the reward is salvation. We are passed from life to death. We enter into eternity and resurrected bodies, streets of gold, the kingdom of God. They, we get the same, and yet we labored. Now, most of us go, praise God, we've learned the lesson that grace is not fair. Unfortunately, there's so many people that haven't, and we glorify God, and we thank him that it's not fair, because most of us realize that if it was fair, none of us would be in heaven. We wouldn't be getting there, because we still mess up. But it's those people that become religious and, and hardened and say, you know, well, I go to church and... Um, you know, I paid my tithe, I do good works, and um, I joined the church, and I've been a faithful member of 30 minutes. You're going to tell me that some drugged-out guy comes in here and just falls on his knees and says, God, forgive me, that we both are going to get the same reward in heaven? And I'm, again, I'm referring more or less to salvation. And we say, yeah, same. I mean, some people just don't can't take that. They want to see the works. They want to see that they've changed their clothes, changed their hair, and they are obeying the church doctrines. And only then would they accept them and think that maybe they could be accepted into heaven. And this was Jesus' point with this parable. God is unfair in the most wondrous and beautiful way we can imagine. He wants to lavish salvation and his forgiveness and his mercy upon anyone at any time of his life. And this is scary because sometimes we think it's, I mean, we think that's not fair. What about the murderer? What about the rapist that ask for forgiveness before they die? This is something we put in the hands of God, right? Because he is just and he makes every perfect, he makes every decision perfect all the time, never fail. So they will have to deal with their crime. But I just put those things in the hands of God and say, it's not for me. That's That's a God thing. God and his grace is not fair. And I'm so thankful for that. Charles Spurgeon, and behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. Genesis twenty eight fifteen. Do we need journeying mercies? Here are choice ones. God's presence and preservation. In all places we need both of these. And in all places we shall have them. If we go at the call of duty, and not merely according to our own fancy. Why should we look upon removal to another country as a sorrowful necessity, when it is laid upon us by the divine will. In all lands, the believer is equally a pilgrim and a stranger. And yet in every region, the Lord is his dwelling place, even as he has been to his saint in all generations. We may miss the protection of an earthly monarch, but when God says, I will keep thee, we are in no real danger. This is a blessed passport for a traveler and a heavenly escort for an immigrant. Jacob had never left his father's room before. He had been a mother's boy and not an adventurer like his brother. Yet he went abroad and God went with him. 
and he had little luggage and no attendance. Yet no prince ever journeyed with a nobler bodyguard. Even while he slept in the open field, angels watched over him, and the Lord God spoke to him, If the Lord bids us go, let us say with our Lord Jesus, Arise, let us go hence. What a perfect reading after what we just read in Genesis. Well, let's do that. Thank you, God, for the encouragement, and thank you that we understand you are the God that goes with us, the God that protects us, and the God that forgives us, and the God that is unfair with your mercy, as you will yield it and give it and lavish it upon anyone who comes to the throne of grace and before your cross, acknowledging your payment on it with your blood. So we thank you for that. I thank you for the protection and for the fact that you do go with missionaries all over the world and with people that are journeying out just to go and share you, whether they consider themselves missionaries or not, where you take them for their jobs or in the military and take them to different countries, different places, where they then become your witnesses. So we thank you, God. You're a blessed, blessed God. And we know we don't deserve you. But we thank you. We thank you that you place your angels around us and that you allow us to wrestle with you until we finally yield and say enough, Lord. Just let me behold your name and let us, let us see your face and let us walk with you the rest of these days. So thank you for this, this morning. Again, a special thanks for the healing that's been going on lately with people in need. Father, pray uh, healing on my own body as I need it and those uh, who are also uh, sick and in need of of their bodies being touched and healed. Um, Raquel and, and Juana, Maria Elena, Hank, so many people, Tom and his knee, we all need it, Father. We just ask that you would touch us and heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you guys. Went a little over in this one because it's long, but... We're gonna, uh, we do edit it down for the um, audio podcast, so please subscribe to that and this one too. Give the thumbs up and the likes, all that. As you know, helps a ton for us to get more people to join us and hear the Word of God every single day. Now, I do need to read those statistics again of the benefit of reading the Word of God. I'll try to do that tomorrow, okay? Bye-bye.